and welcome to another episode of the Colby Cast, your place for community and conversation about pop culture and storytelling. On this episode, we're going to stick with the theme that we've been doing the last couple of weeks, which is splitting up our talk about The Last of Us and The Bad Batch. So without further ado, let's say hello, C- Caleb. Hello. Hello. Hello, Luke. Hi. So let's get started. Uh, we're going to talk about The Last of Us Episode 3, the one that just dropped this past Sunday. It's called A Long, Long Time. And... I'll just go right off the bat and say <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't prepared for this kind of an episode or this type of an episode. We were treated to what I thought was a really beautiful, touching and unexpected love story in this post-apocalyptic zombie zombie show. So, what did you guys think? I thought it was awesome. I know uh Ron Swanson from um Parks and Rec and that's his name. I'm not going to call him anything else because that's to me. There's actors, and then there's people who just play themselves. He, to me, he plays Ron Swanson, and that's just his iconic role to me. Um, and he was just a different variation of that in this, but he was a lot more personable. And it didn't feel like an episode of The Last of Us, but I don't know very many episodes of any show where you're introduced to a character and they hook you right in real quick. And this for me was one of them. Yeah, I agree. And actually let me, um, you, you did that really well, Caleb, without having any spoilers because I didn't really say if we were going to go into spoilers or not, but let's just, we can go uh, right into spoilers. So here's your warning. We'll, we'll be talking about uh, the last of us um, spoilers from this point on. Uh, because there's some, there's just some awesome stuff that happens in this, in this episode. And I don't want us to have to wait. Uh, if you want to talk about it, go for it. Talk about it. Luke, what did you think about the episode? It was really good. I didn't expect this at all. I expected a completely different approach to the episode, but it was, it was really well done and it takes a lot to tug on my heartstrings but somehow they found a way to completely get you invested in a brand two brand new characters in what like three quarters of an episode that's, yeah it's, it's pretty good yeah they i mean the episode was just shy of 90 minutes you know with the credits and the intro and all of that and whatever so i don't know how much time real time we actually spent with these characters bill and frank but I thought that this was a masterclass in storytelling. Because like you said, Luke, we didn't know who these characters were before this episode. They were name dropped by Tess in episode two. We didn't know anything about them. And here we literally have a 20-year story about these two characters and this incredible life that they shared in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, really. And we got them from the beginning of the outbreak to spoilers to when they took their lives after living an incredible 20 years together. And I didn't feel like they missed a beat. Like I was engaged in this episode. Like you said, Luke, like like up halfway through, you're like invested in these two people. It was just great. It was just, it was, it was amazing. Um, So 
before we continue to talk about Bill and Frank, because we can talk about them a lot, I wanted to share something I, I found out about. First of all, breaking news, not so much breaking anymore. I don't know if you guys have heard or not, but The Last of Us episode, I'm sorry, uh, Last of Us season two has been uh, greenlit. So it's been renewed for another season uh, based on the strong performance of the first two episodes alone. And, you know, who knows when it's going to come out or whatnot, but we're going to get more Last of Us uh, season uh, in season two. So uh, congratulations to them. What do you guys think? I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that they didn't greenlight season two before season one even dropped because the hype around it was insane. So it's not, I, I sort of just assumed this whole time that there was going to be a season two. Yeah, that's a good point. There was a lot of buzz going into the se- the first season, uh, but now it's official. So they'll, you know, we'll start looking for news and whatnot. And I don't know how long it's going to take to get another season out there, but that's the life that we live in now, the world, the, the streaming world that we live in, right? Where before we knew if a show was coming up, it would just start showing it, it in the fall of whatever year and then end in the spring of the next year. But now we have to sort of sit and wait and see if things are renewed and then wait for them to film it and do the whole thing. So I'm pretty sure they have a, a season two already mapped out, ready to go. Uh, so who knows how long it's going to take. Uh, another th- interesting thing I, I started listening to the official podcast of the last of us, which um, actually Troy Baker, who is the, who, who plays Joel in the video game, he hosts the pot, the podcast and he has Neil Druckmann and Craig Mazin on who Druckmann is the creator of the game. And um, Craig Mazin is basically the showrunner. He's in charge of, of the show and they work together and they, they have the podcast it's really informative, really cool to hear a lot of the behind the, the scenes stuff. And one of the things that they mentioned on one of the episodes, I thought you guys would find this interesting. Um, episode one, as it was constituted, it was about 90 minutes, right? Episode one was originally supposed to be the first two episodes. Wow. So there's, there's nine episodes. So originally I guess they planned out 10 because they had the episode one split into the episode one and two. And so everything was the same, but the episode was supposed to end with Joel um, taking that young child's body in the QZ and throwing it into the flames. That was when it was supposed to end. So really everything with Tess, everything with Ellie, um, they're leaving the QZ, all of that, that happened after that that scene was supposed to be episode two. So I just before I go on with with what they said about this, I just wanted to pick your brains and say if the episode ended there, seeing knowing what we saw, which was basically the beginning, the 2003 stuff, the stuff with Sarah, and then a little bit of the QZ. Do you think that the that it would have made as much of an impact on you if we didn't get that second half of the episode? If we had to wait a week? and 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 come back to watch that would you have been as hooked as you were as it was aired the way it was i think i would have been i mean i i think the whole thing was so well done and i think the more time you spend on it the more invested you'll be so i i don't think they made a bad decision by doing that but i i think i would have been just as invested Cool. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say if I would have enjoyed it less or more, but I just think the, the pilot was just done so well 
that because I was such a big fan of it, I wouldn't change anything. That could also just be familiarity to what I've actually watched instead of having to wait because I'm an impatient person. Um, <laughs> I like the way that they've given it to us so far. Uh, so the reason that they ended up basically making it one longer episode rather than splitting it into two was that when they were putting all the show together, once they had filmed everything and they were putting it all together, a studio executive at HBO basically stopped them and said, you should make these two episodes the first episode, because if it ends just with Joel throwing this child's body in the, in the fire, I'm not hooked. I'm not ready to come back. I'm not sure our audience is going to be ready to be on board with this, just seeing what we just saw. Uh, so they decided to make some editorial changes and and combine the two episodes. And one of the things that uh, I can't remember if it was Druckmann or Mason that said it, but one of the two of them said that good good studio execs they represent the best interests of the of the of the audience. They don't try to write things and make you make the movie they want you to to make, but they actually represent what the audience or what they feel that the audience wants to see. And that's what a good studio executive does. And they felt like going, looking back that that was the right decision. And this studio executive made the right call. So I just thought it was really interesting to hear a little bit about that. And it's something that we talk about, like think about when we were watching Andor, we were pretty happy that they dropped three episodes of Andor, right? Cause I think if that first episode was only available for people to watch. I think the conversation about Andor would have been drastically different, don't you think? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I just, for me, I always equate it to storytelling and what kind of story did they want to tell. And I think they told it so beautifully in the first episode. And then this one, like, it was just so amazing. I don't know any show that I've ever seen that they've introduced two amazing characters, made you fall in love with them instantly. And then just taking them right off the chalkboard for them not to play any part in the going future. And I I saw a thing that said, I watched uh, The Last of Us season three or season one, episode three, expecting zombies and then got depression instead. So I think that's a pretty good um, embodiment of how I feel about it, too. But it was just so, so beautifully done. It really was. And Nick Offerman, uh, who played Bill. Murray Bartlett, who played Frank, give them some awards. Their performances were tremendous. Like I, I, you, they, you know, a good actor or actress, they elicit emotion in you, right? Through their performance, through their facial expressions, through their eyes, through this, the way they speak. And these guys did, did a phenomenal job with this story that they were telling us. And like you said, Caleb, these, unless we get more flashbacks of them, their purpose has been served, right? Um, man, I just, it, it was such an engaging episode. It was, it was, it was amazing. It was really cool. Um, the thing I'm hoping we get from it the most is, I said it to you guys when we were watching it, but Joel and Bill, they were cut from the same cloth. They're very cut yeah. and dry, do what you need to do to survive and not really get attached to anything else, especially in the world and the time that they're living in. But with the letter that Bill left Joel, you could definitely see that it shook Joel a little bit further than just the surface level of missing Tess. It was more like, okay, 
you have a job to do now. Do it and don't just do it for the sake of getting it off your your to-do list. Get it done because it's the right thing to do and because it doesn't really imply Ellie because Bill doesn't ha- know any existence of Ellie, but it's yeah. implying like do it because she's a child. Doing it because you want the betterment for other people as well, more than just yourself. Yeah. I want to talk more about the end of the episode, but let's 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 talk a little bit about the 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 beginning because it starts out different. We don't get a, we don't start out the episode with a flashback. We actually just jump right into the next the next string of you know the trip with Joel and Ellie, and it's um, they're walking. It, 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 we're told that it's ten miles west of Boston, um, and there's a quick conversation that Ellie engages and starts with. Right. And I thought that, man, uh, every episode I, I seem to like Ellie more and for more and for different reasons. And this is one of them. She just says straight up, she's like, you, she tells Joel, you made a decision, Tess made a decision. You need a battery or whatever. Right. She doesn't even know what they need a battery for, but she's like, you made a decision and I don't want you to blame me for what happened to Tess. And Joel was having none of it, right? She, he doesn't even want to hear Tess's name. He doesn't want to talk about Tess, but I thought that that shows a lot for Ellie where she goes, listen, if we're going to be on this, this road trip together, I don't want you blaming me because that's just going to be baggage hanging over their head. Right? Yeah, absolutely. The part about that, that I thought was weird was like, it didn't seem like Joel was okay with it. <laughs> you know, he no. was sort of like, uh, I don't know. He, he sort of seems like a, he's a hostage to his own personality and his the good traits about him, right? But he doesn't, Yeah. You know, he's doing a lot of things because he feels like he has to. And I, I want to know like what, what he really wants, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And he's doing these things, like you said, because he feels that he has to, but he really, in reality, does not have to, right? The monstrous and terrible thing to do would be, he, he could kill Ellie in, in any second without her even knowing. He already had his chance to do that, but he's not doing it. And it's because he, I, I feel like he's deep down, he will do the right thing. He's just, that's the person he is, even though he has become this sort of hardened, um, person that has survived this terrible tragedy with losing his daughter and then living in this terrible world, right. With what he's seen and done, he still seems like he wants to do the right thing. And he knows doing the right thing by Ellie is the right thing. And that's, what's keeping him from just being selfish and going back to the QZ and saying, you know, enough with this girl. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I think that point and just this entire episode was a perfect example of living isn't surviving you know you want to have a life you don't want to just go day-to-day rationing and doing all this different stuff and that's what bill was doing until he met frank and then he had something to he had purpose and he said that and i thought that was so beautiful he was able to learn more about just life than surviving and trying to make sure that he kept his gates up and made sure everybody stayed out like he went and helped this person person never left they never left each other's side after that and that was a life that he felt was worth living more than just surviving i think for joel i think he's doing it so that he can survive and help ellie survive but ultimately 
it's probably like a small, tiny little sliver of hope of a life worth living again that is further than just surviving and doing the run of the mill things you need to do on a daily basis. It's a good point. I, I had a, a couple other things that I'm going to bring up, but we'll get we can circle back around to that because I think it's that's very well said, and that is the point of the episode, right? There's a difference between surviving and living, living a life. And Bill couldn't have lived that life without Frank. He would have just done what he was doing, which was surviving, and he was doing a really good job of it, by the way, with uh, all the 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 way he basically made his compound which extended out to basically his entire small city that it looked like he lived in, which I wrote down the, uh, the name of on one of the signs when he was going around, when we first saw him setting up his deal, um, it was the new Bedford gas uh, company, I believe it was. So I'm not sure exactly where new Bedford is, but it seems like it's in the North Northeast. And, um, he basically made that whole area, him, his, his own protected himself, but, I even I think I even said out loud during that section of the of the of the episode like that's a lonely existence. He's living there by himself. It's not like he's setting it up to be a refuge for other people. He's just there to survive and to protect himself. And here comes Frank. And then we see how the show shows us the difference between surviving and and living and how that goes back to Joel is now little by little I think he's starting to see that Ellie can represent that same thing because apparently she has this quality about her that could bring some kind of an end to this terrible ordeal that the world is going through, or at least begin, begin the, uh, the end of it. And then we can, he can start getting back into that, uh, living again, rather than just doing what he's been doing, which is surviving. So very, very astute and very well said. The other Um, thing I really liked was they have a sort of new home base. Of course, they're trying to go out west to find Jules' brother and to find somewhere to to help Ellie and get her to where pretty much she needs to be. But they can go back, instead of having to go all the way back to the Boston QZ for whatever reason may present itself, now they have Bill and Frank's ranch survival, whatever you want to call it, and tons of resources. And I'm hoping that the... Uh, the gas is still on, so it can still protect the outer walls. <laughs> Nobody else will steal the wall of guns that Ellie was infatuated with. But I like to think that they have like a quote unquote new home base. They definitely could, you know, go back, uh, at least attempt to do that. Cause first of all, it's really not on any roads, right? That was one of the things that worked well about it is that nobody was going through there. And anybody it seems like that does go through there is either going to get torched or electrified or stuck in a ditch um, of course, all those things do need to be maintained, but you're right. You know, if, if they are in a pinch, they could definitely get in and out of there, uh, in the future if that's needed. Um, what did you guys think, Luke, what did you think about the whole side trip in the beginning of the episode where Joel goes in to try to find a stash of supplies and Ellie starts to go off on her own and finds herself in this like basement situation or under under this store that they're in and we see this crushed clicker um first of all what i was absolutely on the edge of my seat and that was making my blood pressure go up through the whole time but she sees this thing and she goes in and she basically is very curious cuts open the 
forehead of this thing. And when it starts to get agitated and she feels a little threatened, she just puts the knife through its head. Um, what did, what do you think, Luke, what do you think about that scene? Um, I have a couple of an, a couple ideas, but I want to hear what you, why do you think that was included in this part of the story? Uh, I think there's probably two reasons. There's probably way more, but the two reasons I can think of is I think it wanted to set the tone because, you know, the last episode ended off on a very dark note. And I think that they, they knew that the rest of the episode would be uh, a little bit more human. So they wanted to get you on edge a little bit and remind you of what's out there. Right. Cause if they had a whole episode without having had any of the clickers or to see any of the, the real threat that's out there, then I don't know how, uh, you wouldn't have that same taste in your mouth, right? Because this whole time that I'm seeing Bill and Frank walking around in their wonderful little community, I'm just thinking like, when's a clicker going to show up and bust through that fence and rip their heads off, right? Um, and then I think the other reason is I don't think she did it because she was scared. She was a little interested. Like she, uh, it almost seemed like she took pleasure in killing it, which was, interesting a little disturbing yeah. right i didn't think it was disturbing at all she's you you saw it when she's getting in the car in the front seat of the the chevy pickup truck that they're able to get at the end she's touching everything she's a teenager who's been pretty much guarded her whole life not been able to venture out and see everything that's curiosity more than just like wanting to just go around and rebel right she wants to understand it better. If she's immune, she wants to understand what she's looking at. She slices it first instead of just stabbing it a bunch of times. And I think it was also maybe like a pride thing. It's like, oh, yeah, Joel, you don't want to give me a gun? I've killed a clicker on my own. You don't even know about it, you know? So <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I like to try and imagine maybe it's just the teenage brain and an extra uh, not necessarily enclosed teenager, but definitely a smart and intellectual type of character that she's portraying very well in my opinion she's fearless and she's certainly curious so absolutely absolutely and she and i found it really interesting i did find it a little bit creepy that she wasn't creeped out or scared by this but that tells us a lot about her and it also tells you a little bit about me thinking that it's a little bit creepy but that's okay Uh, (laughs) i think it also helps that she sort of surveyed it she's like okay it can't get me its hands are pinned. It's crushed under these cinder blocks. There's nothing that can go wrong in this moment. So knowing that there is no real like punishment or consequence coming from it, I would do it if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I could see I could see you both doing that. Uh, and I, Luke, I think you're also right about they need to give us a little bit of the creep factor there in the beginning because for the first time in like three hours or more, four hours of this show, the first time I actually felt like I could relax a little bit and take a breath was when we were in Bill and Frank's compound. I didn't feel the the way that you you guys have said where you felt like a clicker was going to jump out of, out, you know, in one of their creaky houses or cor- dark corners. He did such a wonderful job um, solidifying and, and making that area impenetrable even from stray clickers or people that wanted to get in there i felt just safe 
in that place. And I was very grateful that we had an episode where I could feel that way because <laughs> I didn't feel that way in the first two. <laughs> but yeah, that scene with the clicker in the beginning certainly gives us a little bit of the creep um, before we get into the safety aspect of stuff. So there was one thing I was a little bit disappointed in because Joel stole my thunder a little bit. There was one other thing I wanted to share with you guys that I learned this past week. Um, but Joel started talking about it and it was when they were walking, uh, before they arrived at that mass, basically that mass grave where we saw skeletons and he was telling Ellie, he didn't want her to see that. So it was before that. And she, he was basically giving her some more context and also teaching us a little bit about how this thing is, was spread throughout the world. So I came across some of the stuff that, and he confirmed it basically that in the flashback in episode two, we saw that the, the doctor, the scientist, um, asking about where did this start, who was the first person to get bitten, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they talked about how it was in a flower uh, warehouse or a f- flower manufacturing facility type of thing. And fun fact, when you go back to knowing that, knowing that it basically started in a flower warehouse, um, going back to episode one with the scenes with Sarah there's constant little tiny details showing us that they did not consume any flour, but that the people that were being infected did. For example, uh, and and Joel even brought it up, pancake mix. He was supposed to bring home pa- pancake mix so Sarah could make him pancakes. Uh, he forgot to pick up a cake for himself for his birthday. Um, she went over to the neighbor's house and they made cookies and she did not take any cookies. All these things contain flour, contain wheat, possibly. Uh, and on the flip side, the neighbors with Nana, and I think they were called the Aldermans, maybe. Um, they were, they were eating biscuits. They were feeding the the grandma biscuits and they had biscuits. And so they even offered it. Yeah, they even offered it to Joel, right? And he was like, no, I'm doing Atkins. So he didn't want any biscuits. So those little details, I think just it just sort of blew my mind because this show is so good. They didn't force that down our throats. They didn't make it a like a very obvious thing. But little by little, we're learning more. And we're starting to see we could go back and look at these. And there's little payoffs after the fact. How cool is that? That's sort of attention to detail you get when you have a video game, right? Because you have all the time in the world, you know, the especially people who, you know, filmmakers are very invested too, but I think it's a little bit more, um, you have to be more selective about the things you put detail in, if it's live action, especially. But in a video game, you know, there's so many different avenues for you to follow. Um, you know, even though it's a story-based game, you're and you're following a certain path really you have all the time in the world to put all these little easter eggs in there and mm-hmm. i think that's it's so interesting because you know this is we talked about this is one of the first video game based shows if not the first and they're really you know there were there were a lot of connections just scene by scene and frame by frame to the other um to the video game but that's something that i feel like you know i didn't play the game but i'm sure they touched on that a little bit early on and they just carried it over 
Yeah, I, I think a lot about the um, the play the people that have played the game, and I just sort of think as we're watching episodes, I'm like, I wonder if that was in the game. I wonder how they did this in the game. I, I'm not. I don't wonder enough to the point where I'm going to play it, but I I know that they've been so good at the attention to detail that you mentioned that I just wonder how it's as the series progresses, how it's falling with the original popular audience, which are the gamers, uh, and if they're enjoying it as much as we're enjoying watching it, not coming from their perspective. So uh, very cool stuff. Yeah. I'd like to think that it's sort of like interesting enough to them, even though like they've played, I think there's like three last of us games out or something like that. They know what's coming, but it's on a different platform for them. So maybe it's still interesting enough where they can watch it and then watch it again and not get just get bored of it. You know? So I I think think there are two, the last of us games. Um, the second one came out like a decade after the first one. Oh, wow. Um, but there's also an open world game where like, it's not tied into the storyline. It just takes place in that universe and you're just trying to like survive. So it's not like a story-based game, right? It's, it's more like, you know, you try to survive as many waves of the clickers as you can and stuff. Gotcha. Um, I think it's a multiplayer game, but yeah, the, the second one that came out, came out, like a year or two ago it's pretty recent um and there's a massive time jump so i don't know how connected that's going to be to the first like if they do connect the second season or the second game to the show i don't know if they're going to have like a massive time jump or they're just going to stick with season or the first game it's interesting you bring that up because they addressed it a little bit in that Last of Us official podcast, even before the news broke that it had been uh, renewed for a season two. They were talking about the the perspective, the possibilities of a season two, and they did mention that time jump. They mentioned that there's a lot of room in that time jump that they could spend on if they chose to in a TV show rather than going straight for the second iteration of the game, there is that time where they could play uh, in a, in a TV show. So it'll really be interesting to see how it goes for, for season two. You know what, something Joel said uh, resonated with me a lot, knowing now that there's going to be a season two and he's arguing with Frank and he goes, uh, our government is a bunch are a bunch of Nazis. And it definitely Mm -hmm. seems like, the main villain are the zombies. That goes without saying. But okay, so like more fundamentally, like the fungi, right? Those are the those are the villains. Number one, number two are the government who have a brand new way of thinking. Like they're killing yeah. people just because they don't have space for them in the QZ. You know, so if some person who isn't a government official says, "Oh yeah, there's a cure now," I'd like to think that the government is going to try and oppress that to try and keep their control or try and make it their, their new MO is like trying to make sure that they're still in power. So because of what Joel said, maybe season two is from a perspective, okay, the zombies are now not threat. Number one, it's avoiding people of a sound mind who are trying to keep this quiet and keep the people in the QZ under their thumb. Well, we we certainly learned from uh, Chancellor Palpatine, I should say, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine, in that scene in um, Revenge of the Sith, that when he's talking to Anakin, those with power, what do they do? They just want more power. So I could totally see how this show is already set up, even through just three episodes. 
about how that could be an avenue to explore as the whole. I, I like the fact that they've sort of distinguished also that the clickers aren't necessarily a villain in that they, I mean, maybe they are because I don't know if the fungi fungi has become sentient where it has a purpose in mind, but it's definitely the main threat. But the villain in a more straightforward way could definitely be the government, which is under, you know, trying to control more and more and more and more. So very, uh, very good point. Um, any final thoughts or any last thoughts you guys want to share on The Last of Us? I have I have just one that they gave me a wonderful Mortal Kombat 2 video game Easter egg, which I was super happy about because I was a big Mortal Kombat fan and, and when I was a kid. So when Ellie found that uh, arcade game in the that first store where they were looking for the stash, I, I sort of had a, a nerd out moment that you guys got to witness. But uh, yeah, that was just that was my last thing. Um, also, the beauty of of the last day for Frank and Bill, how Frank had it planned out and how you when you when you know it's your last day, you're going to spend time with what matters the most. And that's the people that you love and the people that love you. And I just thought that that was a very beautiful um, poetic way for them to end their last day. So, uh, final thoughts for you guys on your same point. I really agree that you want to do the, th- the best things so you can just die happy. Right. But the thing that I liked most about that entire, his last day was he sees bill pour the crushed up pills into his wine glass and he just downs it. But the minute he sees that bill is now doing the same thing, he has He's so in love with Bill and knows him so well that he knows instinctively there are already pills in that bottle, aren't they? And there's nothing he can do about it. And although he disagrees, he respects him for it and knows that you probably feel the same way as I do, where it's like, all right, we've done everything we need to do. There's no point in just trying to survive for the sake of surviving. So the other thing that I wanted to bring up was the attention to detail is so amazing. Did you know that the the clickers, they speak Latin? I did not. Yeah, it's a dead language. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did sneak that one in there. Oh, I'm so proud of that dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> Luke. Um I I keep comparing the show to The Walking Dead. And The Walking Dead sort of had a cult following at the beginning because there wasn't a ton like it. And it really, really fizzled out. Um, And I feel like it had a lot of potential. And especially, like, there was a bearded character who was, like, way older and sort of like a survivalist in The Walking Dead. And then there's also, like, a gated community that they even, like, surround it with cars and stuff to make sure no one can get through. And it's just, it's eerily similar to that. But I just feel like this is so well done because it, it the in The Walking Dead it gets to a point where you know like no one's even scared of the zombies anymore, and it's sort of just people fighting people. But this has a really good balance of the fear of the zombies being very prevalent, but also everyone is aware of you know what the objective there is. It's not just survive for the sake of surviving you're trying to build something greater than that and i think that you know not that 
Bill and Frank sacrifice themselves necessarily, but I think that them passing is sort of showing Joel that he can have more than just go day by day, right? Yeah. And I thought that that was a very beautiful and poetic way of illustrating that point. They, it, it is, it was, I think this is an episode that's going to stick with me for a while, even though it's a real complete departure from what we've gotten so far. All right. So unless you guys have any last final thoughts, final, final thoughts on, on the last of us, um, let's switch gears to something that is super, super similar in tone uh, and just heaviness and sadness. And that's the bad batch episode five <laughs> Entombed. I'm joking. I'm so glad that, that the bad batch is going on right now because I always sort of like to watch um, something that's going to lighten my spirits. If there's something heavy that we're watching, like I watched house of the dragon, but at the same time, she Hulk was going on. So the heavy side of, of storytelling with house of the dragon, I, I knew I could always look for, the laughter that She-Hulk would bring me. So we sort of have a similar situation here that we're watching the the Last of Us, but at the same time, we get to watch the Bad Batch and um, talk about the Bad Batch, and that's brings brings my spirit up and it enlightens my whole uh, storytelling experience. So the Bad Batch episode five it was called Entombed. Uh, I am really looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about it. Because we have not spoken a word about this episode uh, at all. So tell me, what did you guys think about Entombed? I um, I will try my best to stay positive <laughs> because I wasn't the biggest fan of it. I would even say that it was one, probably the only episode of The Bad Batch I haven't liked. Really? Why? Yep. Why? It just felt like perfect analogy for us being former and current hockey players. You take a couple big strides and then you just glide. That was this episode for me. It just felt like they're trying to figure out what they're doing and now they've failed at it twice. And they are sort of, to me, letting the child in the driver's seat, letting a literal pirate sort of manipulate Omega and pique her curiosity and try and get this money and get this valuable thing. And there are five of them. And she and I forget the woman's name, but she literally says, oh, yeah, we're going to go 50-50. Like, I don't think that's fair in an economic standpoint, but she's she's a pirate. You know, she's literally just trying to better herself for herself and this is the second time that they've done it and come up with nothing and risk their lives and a lot of resources and most importantly my time (laughs) (laughs) i i see where you're coming from and i had i had the same reservations especially early on about it about the episode because you know not early on like at the end of the episode we're also just like really again not getting anything again but I I know the approach they're taking is like, oh, yeah, but the value was in the lesson learned, right? Um, but I don't think there was much of a lesson learned, to be honest. Like, how, how much better off are they for having done that? Other than the fact that there was like, oh, wow, 
that myth was real and Omega is pretty smart, right? Yeah, exactly. The other thing I the thing I liked with that giant robot thing was it made the universe feel massive in a very short amount of time because we get a lot of literal Star Wars for the namesake, right? We get a lot of political things, but now we're getting sort of like more lore, more mythology that they're following up on. But it would have been really cool if this was something they mentioned, just slightly sprinkled in like a really early release. And then all of a sudden this is a payoff. Now we're learning more about it. But this myth, this mythology was introduced to us in this episode and then we saw it in the episode and now it's over. So <laughs> I still love each and every one of the characters. I still love the, the show. I just I didn't like very much about the episode. And I'm just going to be honest. That's all. That's no, I appreciate I appreciate your honesty. And I would I I, um, I rely on the fact that you guys are honest with your feelings. We don't want to just sit here and say, yippee, loved it. Everything is fantastic. That's my job. <laughs> because for a second straight week i again had a really different experience with the bad batch episode (laughs) that sounds like you did luke it sounds like maybe you're in between somewhere in between caleb and i but caleb yeah i had a very different experience i will i will admit that when the credits rolled i did have a moment too where i said hmm but then i started thinking about it um you say thinking you're convincing yourself (laughs) no 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 i'm really not i'm really not i'm looking for i refuse absolutely refuse to believe that anyone that produces um movies or television shows do it in a way where they're just doing the basic minimum to get by and keep putting content out there so that they can keep people watching unless you're Sony making Spider-Man films, they had to force themselves <laughs> to keep making those because they would lose the rights to the characters. So um, I, I, I genuinely do not think that that's what Lucasfilm is doing with the bad batch. And, and I actually want to read to you guys the tweet that I sent right after I watched it. And it went like this. I said, the bad batch episode five entombed is another example of the limitless possibilities of playing in the Star Wars sandbox. This episode is a different kind of thrill ride, and I loved it, plus the score by Kevin Kiner is, again, incredible. Um, Caleb, you touched on it after, after Luke, what you shared, and I agree with you. This episode, it did make the Star Wars galaxy seem even bigger than it than it already felt because it's not that we went to a place that's far away we went to a place that connected us to a time that was really 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 far away um would you say a long 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 time ago (laughs) yes i would i would absolutely say that um i literally went and wrote down things that i liked and i'll share i'll share with you a little bit more detail than just that little tweet Um, the first thing was the music. And I alluded to that in the tweet. The music was incredible. I felt like I was watching an Indiana Jones movie, really the way that it sort of hung in the background and it built and it got strong and it got dramatic. And then it it started to soften again. And then it started to build again. Oh my gosh. It was thrilling. It was absolutely thrilling. I loved the puzzles, the puzzles that they had to solve 
the first one, which they had to move parts of the wall around, um, uh, that actually I come to find out I've never played the game, but people have that is connected to Jedi Fallen Order. I guess there's a similar kind of thing you have to do in Jedi Fallen Order with similar symbols and lining yeah, up. Yeah, it's certain a really things. recurring thing there. Okay, so con- confirmation it's kind of from someone. Too. <laughs> So Did that you... theme was in there, but not like the giant dog robot they were in? No, no. There's just like, okay. there's a Jedi temple that you go to. Or I don't know if it's a temple or, a, I don't know, it's like a force sensitive place that you go to and you're like trying to make your way through and you have to like turn the columns with the force and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Cause it slightly reminded me of the, the scene where Ezra in the, in rebels goes back back in time after seeing the giant rock, right? I'm butchering what those things were. And he literally finds Ahsoka, right? Yeah. It reminded me of that, but instead it was just for this big rock that ended up melting. So <laughs> I will give that to you that the payoff of the episode was not anywhere near the payoff of what you're talking about with rebels and in a similar um type of thing where you have to move things in a certain way and whatnot. Uh, but I did, I, I love it when Star Wars connects to other Star Wars, even if it's Star yeah. Wars that I don't know about, I will find out about those connections. And I just enjoy when it does that. So those things were in Jedi Fallen Order. The other thing that I really enjoyed was the the tunnel that they had to walk through uh, mm-hmm. where they had the Ahsoka had the compass. I'm sorry, Ahsoka, <laughs> Omega. Omega had the compass. <laughs> put it in your head. Yeah, you did. Uh, uh, she had to put the compass in the thing, and then it switched the the basically the ceiling to the floor. That whole setup, out, you know, once Hunter tried to walk through it and fell in, is like l- literally pulled out of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Indy yeah. has to go through a trap like that where he has to read certain symbols. And I just enjoyed the whole feeling of like, this is Star Wars meets Indiana Jones and they're on this treasure hunt. And I just enjoyed the feeling of that. And I even during the episode caught myself thinking, look, something has to happen to all of these characters, right? We don't know anything about them through the original trilogy. We don't know anything about them through Rebels. We don't know anything about them through the sequel trilogy. Something has to happen. Why not make Omega and maybe Hunter treasure hunters? Why not make them not necessarily pirates, but you know what? Um, what does Fee call herself? A, a treasure hunter. That would be, I think, such a fun way to give them still a, a interesting stories to tell. And you could tell them in any medium you wanted. If you wanted to continue it through animation or if you want to do it through video games, there is a character that is a treasure hunter in Star Wars. She lives in the comic books. I've, have, I've not read any of them, but I know she's very popular. And her name is Dr. Afra. And literally every comic she's in, it's her comic series, she is on treasure hunts searching for relics of, of bygone eras through star Wars. And she's extremely popular and uh, many people love the stories that are being told through that character, but there doesn't have to be only one, you know, why not make, you know, Hunter wants to make sure Omega is happy. Why couldn't they branch off and be some kind of a, you know, treasure hunters, Indiana Jones style. I don't know. This, this episode just got my brain functioning like that. So I know why. Cause of echo. Okay. 
because my boy Echo has made it very clear that he wants to make a difference. He wants yeah. to help people. And I don't think that he would be uh, scratching that itch very much if he was going around being a treasure hunter. And I also don't foresee them breaking up again. Yeah. Because they've already lost um, cross eye, cross hair. Cross hair. Um, <laughs> but I don't think cross eyes. Would... <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't think that they would want to go through that again. Yeah. I, that's that was my thought too. I was like, what if the band breaks up because one guy wants to do this, the other guy wants to do this, and there's no change in it. But then I had the same thought. It's like these guys are brothers. They're gonna stick together, and I don't think they work as two separate groups. And I don't think that Wrecker is gonna want to pick sides. You know, he's gonna be the dog in the middle of the the parents who are breaking up, not knowing where to go. You know, so I don't know. I like to think linear and logically i like to think i'm a logical thinker so when the big robot dog is spraying (laughs) this mega plasma laser out of its mouth and all of a sudden just like targets the ship i was like that doesn't make sense to me and to me the heart of the mountain sounds like it's gonna breathe air back into the planet that has been dead for however long but now it's destroying more of what's already destroyed. And I just I just didn't really get it. But to that negative point, I loved um, Omega's thinking. She goes and is trying to figure out these shapes to get through to the heart of the mountain. And they f- figure out that you can look through the compass and it's going to light up what needs to be seen. Then after that, the whole time until she has to give up the compass, she has her flashlight on the compass Mm -hmm. illuminating the entire walkway i was like she's very smart but she's still a kid so she gets this little guidance and then she just takes it and runs with it and i just thought it was so sweet and so beautiful and in its portrayal and i was like man she she's she's a she's one you got to keep your eyes on because she's gonna be too smart for her own good at such a young age she is sharp and that's one of the things i love most about omega is she her brain is so attuned to looking at different situations you can constantly see her analyzing right um and, but yet she's still kind too uh, I, I really enjoy that it's interesting you brought up the big robot because one of the first things i thought of about with this big robot was who made that right where did that come from and according to fee which i believe is a very unreliable narrator tall tales they make a point of of calling out her inaccuracies right um so we don't need to believe her but in every tall tale there's a little bit of truth it's it's a a a web is spun around some truth right yeah um so that robot came from somewhere she mentioned something called the uh the ancients um she's talking about things that happened thirty thousand years before the turn the current time frame of star wars that's way before anything else we've ever been introduced to except with the exception of maybe the Mortis arc in the clone wars, because who knows when, where those beings came from the father and the son and the daughter. So who made that robot? Who stopped that robot? Because that robot was clearly there to destroy that planet. It's a mega weapon, right? It's not going to blow up a planet like the death star, 
but it's there to destroy that planet. Who stopped it? The The heart of the yeah. mountain clearly was the key to stop the thing because when they removed it, it got reignited and then they had to shove it back in that thing to, um, to stop it again. So that clearly was the key to stopping it. And that's one of the things that I love about Star Wars is it puts these tales out there. And if they ever circle back to it and give us some story, it maybe it's great. If they do, if they don't, fine. We had a, a tremendous arc in the Clone Wars with the Zillow Beast. Have we ever heard anything about the Zillow Beast since? Not even that's a, a little point. bit. Not even a little bit. The difference is, is the Clone Wars did it over two or three episode arcs. And the Bad Batch seems to be doing in one episode type of deal. So it seems like at the end of that episode, you're sort of thinking, hmm, what was that? But when you start to to dig a little bit further down, you see that it there's things there that could turn into other things. Now, I totally understand what you guys are saying. There's other story threads out there that people really want to see. Uh, one of them is named Crosshair. One of them is named Commander Cody. They drop this massive uh, post-credit scene on us at the end of the last season, which has to do with cloning and this big mountain where there's a bunch of cloners out there. There's uh, other things that people are interested in seeing, but my encouragement is this is episode five of 16. And if you think back, Caleb and Luke, and you put on your Clone Wars, (laughs) I'm 10 and 12 years old again, you remember watching episodic TV released one at a time and these were two and three stories, two and three episode story arcs where you had to wait literally a week between to see what was the next thing. So you see, I see your point, but I raise you that streaming is better and I like to binge. <laughs> My eyes have been open to better things. I will not be satisfied with the old ways. I get it. <laughs> yeah that's I fair it. that's fair and that's why like I'm, I'm still enjoying it don't get me wrong i i really am enjoying watching you know because it, it's fun right um just the issues that not not even the issue just i guess my concern is that you know how much of this is going to come back around right how many of these little like the whole thing with sid like okay i'm sure that's going to turn into something this one is this going to turn into something, you know? Even I think it was the first episode. No, I don't think it was. I forgot what episode it was. Um, but you know where they're going after that war chest and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like how much yep. of that is going to pay off? Um, and not that any of it necessarily has to, but you know, it's just sort of like a, the stakes are already so high. And if it's going to be like a fun show, like like more like Clone Wars type, then I think that they would have to do more seasons because part of the reason why the Clone Wars is so good is because there's seven seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And if they're going to do seven seasons of the Bad Batch, then yeah, probably a lot of it would pay off. But, you know, when it's streaming like this, it's a little bit harder. The other thing that pops into my head is you and I, Dad, sitting in the big hall at Celebration, getting so hyped up and excited about the people talking about what this new season for the Bad Batch is going to entail. And then they said that there's new adventures, new endeavors, all these things. 
And absolutely, this episode falls under that category. So Mark's hats off to them. But I want to see what other adventures they have to to offer. Like last season, I could watch, if we were to end this episode right now, I could watch season one to season finale without getting up, without needing a snack, bathroom break, nothing. I could just do it. Right now, I'm I'm excited to eat my words at the end of the season when this season two just absolutely just crushes season one in my excitement and stuff. But I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited to see what's next. That's going to be my positive remark for that. I think, well, first of all, let me, let me bestow upon you some wisdom from master Yoda. Patience. That's my Yoda. <laughs> I, it wasn't I don't bad. Know if I can do that. Thank Didn't you. Know that, that was a good impression. I don't know if I can listen to master Yoda. <laughs> um the second the second thing is that it it really to me it brings up a really good question and conversation about episodic weekly releases versus streaming and are there certain shows that are just better to drop i I don't know about the entire season but sure let's just go with the entire season versus an episodic release like I enjoyed watching. I, I'm enjoying watching The Last of Us on a weekly basis, but we're getting hour-long plus episodes. I enjoyed watching House of the Dragon on a weekly basis. Again, hour-long episodes. Is it is would it be a good thing for Star Wars animation if they're going to do 25 minute ish episodes to maybe release them an arc at a time? Or the entire season. They dropped um, Star Wars Visions um, all in one, all all at once. They dropped the Tales of the Jedi. Now, those were much shorter, even less than 10 minutes, all at once. I like episode, weekly episode drops. I like it. I know that a lot of people, though, agree with you guys about binging something. And I just wonder if some material is more geared or better enjoyed binging rather than um, a weekly episode like Obi-Wan, I would, I would want that to be an episode a week kind of thing. Cause those were 45 minute, 40 minute episodes. Uh, I, I would rather have that than just the entire episode. I, I enjoy talking up to people and engaging on, on Twitter about shows on a weekly basis. I think it draws out interest and creates more interest rather than just dumping everything like stranger things. And then it's, like on fire for three months and then it's gone, like completely gone. Um, But maybe, maybe there are certain properties that would be better um, released in larger chunks. So I'll give you guys that. I would, I'm satisfied watching. I'm not just satisfied. I'm excited watching the last of us house of the dragon, those types of shows on a weekly basis. But that's because to me, it's just heavier. It's real. It's something. I mean, there's nothing real about those zombies and dragons, right? But for this, they're short. They're a little sprinkle here and there. If it was like season finale of season one of The Bad Batch, I'd want that on a weekly basis as well. But for episodes like this, I would be overly excited about, like you said, arcs. Where it's like, okay, this was an arc, so you're not gonna res- uh, you're not gonna waste production time making three episodes in something that could have gotten done in one. But I would be happy seeing 
this arc and then next episode just to sprinkle it for the next arc that might be a little deeper but obviously i am not the sun the world doesn't revolve around me so i'm just going to keep <laughs> complaining when i feel like it but that's not to say that i'm done with the bad batch i'm still coming around again uh next wednesday when when uh the season the the next episode drops and they're just so easy to watch like really you yeah. know, if 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 this is if this is the worst like the bare bare bottom minimum storytelling we get from star wars i will take this every day of the week and twice on sunday because they're just so much fun to watch (laughs) yeah thank you (laughs) (laughs) luke did you have something you wanted to add uh well i was just gonna say like if you're worried about if you want to talk about it continuously you're not gonna get much of a chance soon because the last of us is already sort of taking it by storm but it's also you know it's still a it's a different universe, very different shows, very different audiences. But The Mandalorian is not far. And that's a good point. When it's coming, I mean, did this have, was the Bad Batch going on at the same time as The Mandalorian was in season one or no. two? No, I don't think there, so. There hasn't it, it been a Star Wars overlap yet. I thought there was with Obi Wan. There was Miss Marvel and Obi Wan overlap, but there was mm. no Star Wars overlap. Yeah. And I feel, well, again, different audiences, but I think that, mm-hmm. I really think that it's going to get completely, completely overtaken. And maybe it's just like a scheduling thing, but I, I don't think it's going to get the opportunity to get flowers really just because not a ton of people are going to be talking about it when they could be talking about The Mandalorian, which is the biggest show on Disney Plus, which is the biggest streaming service out right now, right? Yeah. We're going to get um, three weeks, I believe, of overlap. March 1st is when Mando Season 3 starts. Uh, the Bad Batch ends on March 15th. So, no, no, no. Nope, I take that back. It's more than that. The Bad Batch, I think, ends on March 29th. So the entire month of March will be um, not only Mando and Bad Batch, but The Last of Us as well. <laughs> and then some cool movies start coming out in in March content, as well as, a, as... content. content. <laughs> so this is, and there's going to be any shortage of things to talk about. We'll maybe we'll have to start dropping some um, Colby Cast bonus tracks like we were talking about the other day. Uh, anyhow, yeah, certainly no shortage of things to talk about, and it'll be interesting to see because I think the Bad Batch audience will be built in, and they will be shared with Mando. But on a pop culture level, yeah, Mando is so big that um, the Bad Batch could definitely get lost. And my gosh, I think it's three weeks that we get Last of Us and Mando on the air at the same time. It's going to, it's Pedro Pascal's world. It's his <laughs> world. So thank you, Pedro Pascal, for letting us live in it. You're a good guy. True. All right. Uh, any final thoughts on on anything going out the door? Uh, if not, we will go ahead and call it quits on this episode. Nope. Yeah, you guys are good. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Colby Cast. We hope you're enjoying our our discussions on The Last of Us and The Bad Batch and whatever else comes down the pike because things are going to start hitting hot and heavy here not not too soon, uh, not too far off. We've got Ant-Man that's coming out in a matter of weeks. we got to figure out when we're going to go see that, guys. Uh, so, yeah, anyhow, thanks, everyone, for listening, and um, make sure you take good care of yourselves. Bye.
You can find The Colby Cast on Twitter and Instagram at The Colby Cast. If you're wordy, like me, you can send an email to thecolbycast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is not endorsed by anyone or anything for that matter. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Colby cast, unless otherwise indicated. That'll do, Donkey. That'll do.